Uh, my name is Fred. As Carol said, I am the lead pastor here, and we are in the middle of a series uh, in Ephesians. And if you would, if you have your Bible, go ahead and take your Bible and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be doing verses 11 through 22 today. Um, and I want to start off and tell you all about a friend of mine. Um, who is a pastor in New York City, particularly in Brooklyn, and he leads a church called The Bridge NYC. Uh, his name is James Roverson, and uh, he's a black pastor there, and he's an incredible, incredible man of God. And, and Google him and, and listen to him teach, uh, listen to what he has to say. It's great. In one of his sermons recently, he made this comment, um, and I think it's so good. He said this. He said, you are still learning you. You are still learning you. And I think this statement is uh, so full of grace and so full of truth that you are still learning you. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter uh, how, how poor, no matter how rich, no matter how uneducated, no matter how educated you are, you are still learning what it means to be you. Now, Here's the deal with that, and this is the, he, he talked about this in his message a little bit too. He said, he said, he said, as you're learning to be you, if you're learning to be you with your Bible open, with your with your heart um, inclined toward Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit, and and if you're if you're in relationships with 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 good friends and, and godly people, here's what happens while you are still learning to be you. Not only are you still learning to be you, but you are also learning more about Jesus in the process. You are still learning you, and you are also still learning about God. You are still learning about Jesus. And, and, and I love this, this thought because it is just dripping with grace, isn't it? That if we're all understanding that we're still learning to be you... I'm learning to be me. You're learning to be you. We're all learning what it means to, to follow Jesus. We're all learning what God is like. We're all learning what Jesus is like. Doesn't that mean that there's a whole lot of grace for each other? Well, let me tell you something that I'm learning about me and learning about God, and particularly I've seen it in the midst of this pandemic and an election cycle and all of that, it's this. It's that left to myself, I really like to build barriers. And as I've been learning about Jesus, I've noticed he really likes to build bridges. Now, if you take notes, you don't have to write that down. That's my observation about me and Jesus, right? I mean, you can. We're going to be referring to that quite a bit. But I've discovered I like to build bridges I mean, I like to build barriers, and Jesus likes to build bridges. Now, here's how I discovered that. It started with an observation that led to a question that led to what I think is a very radical conclusion and discovery about God, which we will share here in a little bit. Let me tell you what the observation was. And y'all, tell me if this is true of you anywhere, whether you're here in person or virtually. Uh, we're glad that you're here, but tell me if this is true about you as well. You're on social media, and someone posts something that you think is ridiculous. Like, not in a funny way, but the other way, right? And you think to yourself, at least this is what I think to myself, I really don't like what they posted. I think I will unfollow them. Or, or I think I will just block them and snooze them for, like, through the election 
or through the pandemic or until the rapture, one of the, like, like, I'm, I, they, they need a minute. I need a minute. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a break. Right? Or maybe you're in a conversation and, and someone says something and, and you're like, I don't like what they said. So much so, I'm not even sure how to respond. And the thought that went through my head when, when I'm with someone and I don't like what they said is, is, man, I'm not sure we should be friends anymore. Anybody think that during this pandemic? Or maybe, maybe I heard an opinion that I just don't agree with. And that's, the, man, I don't, I don't agree with their opinion. I don't, I'm not sure I have the energy to talk to them anymore. Or what about this one? This is what I've noticed too, which led me to, to, to want to snooze and block people until after the election, is I do not like their politics. And then my thought was, I don't know if we have anything in common anymore. Anybody have these thoughts going through your head? If so, here's what I've noticed happens to me. Where, where there's disagreement, I can tend to break the relationship. Especially now when so many relationships are literally, to break it is the click of a button. Because here's what it does. When, when, when I see this disagreement between us, I want to put up a wall. Right? That's what I mean by a barrier. I, I, I want to do that. Anybody else feel these things? Or am I alone up here? All right, well, welcome to the club, whatever club we're in. Welcome. All right? Maybe it's the human club. I don't know. But welcome to the club. Because here's what I mean by building walls. I mean, I mean it's where a disagreement makes you want to separate from the person you disagree with. Now, if this is you, I don't know if you've put the, the question, because that's what I observed about myself, and it led me to this question. And here's the question that I asked. Are they my enemy? Because that's what it felt like, right? It, it felt like, okay, they, they are my enemy now. Now, enemy seems like a strong word, but, but, but listen to the definition of enemy. The Oxford Dictionary says this. An enemy is any person who is actively opposed to someone. An enemy is any person who is actively opposed to someone, which means when I ask the question, are they my enemy? What I'm asking is, are they opposed to me? If you're asking that question about someone, the, the question is, are they opposed to you? Are they against you? See, an enemy is someone who is against you. An enemy is someone who is against me. Let me ask you, do you ever feel like someone is against you? Students, have you ever had a teacher that you felt like was against you? Right? That no matter what you did, it didn't measure up. Now, if your teachers are your parents right now, don't agree with that. Just keep it, to your, to keep it between us, all right? Just between us, just between us. But, but kids, do you ever feel like a sibling is against you? Now, this is kids, even adult kids, do you feel like one of your siblings is against you, Right? If so, then probably this question, maybe in different words, has popped through your mind. And y'all, it's an important question because how you answer this question, are they my enemy, makes all the difference. Because if we say, yes, they are my enemy, we build a wall. We break the relationship because disagreement leads to opposition. And y'all, let me tell you, opposition needs walls. Y'all, and walls build enemies. And we're going to see this in our text today. We're going to see that walls build 
enemies. Paul's going to use this word hostility, hostile. That's what, that's what making an enemy means. Walls build enemies. Walls create hostility. But I have something radical that as I've been processing this and, and, and have spent hours before the Lord with this and, and in scriptures. And, and, and some of y'all may be like, duh, Fred, we, I knew that. Great, I didn't. But here's this radical conclusion that I came to as I've been processing this. And it's, and it's this, is that, believe it or not, in God's economy, we have no human enemies. None. We have no human enemies. Now, I know you immediately might be thinking, yeah, Fred, but what about, but what about, but what about, what about this person uh, that did horrible things to me? What about, what about in war we've got enemies? What about all these things? Yeah, great questions. Stay with me. All right? Put those aside. We're going to address those. Stay with me as we go through this. Let this, let this conclusion kind of sit in your head that, that, that we have no human enemies. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see as we work through this text is we're going to see that Jesus doesn't build walls. He builds bridges. And instead of walls, what we're going to get is we're going to get torn curtains. Right? We're going to get walls that, that, that come down. Instead of barriers, we are going to get bridges. And here's what we're going to see, that barriers build enemies. And when we put those barriers up, when we put those walls up, we're making enemies of everybody on the other side of it. But instead, there is a better way. There is a Jesus way because bridges build peace. Right? Barriers build enemies and bridges Build peace. Now, as we get started, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to two phrases that Paul uses in this text. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, Carol mentioned them to the kids. For those of you who are listening to that piece, is, is Paul's going to use two phrases. He's going to say, you were, and he's going to say, you are. And, 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 and he's, going to, he's going to remind these people that's reading this letter in, in the church in Ephesus, and the churches in Ephesus, of what they were before Christ and what they are in Christ. All right, so let's look at chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision and which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were, so there's the you were, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises. And here's the result of the, of the you were there, having no hope and without God in the world. So you were, this is the first part of it, you were this way. Now what Paul is doing here is he was reminding them, remember, of who they were before Christ. He's not saying they're that way now in Christ. He's reminding them of who they were in Christ. Before they became followers of Jesus, before they were, if you listen to our first sermon uh, in this series, before they were in the, do you remember what I used up here? Before they were in the hoop, remember? And how in Christ we are chosen by God. In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. In Christ, we are redeemed, which means we are set free at the cost of someone else. And, and, and in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to indwell in us and with us as a church and in us and with us as individuals. And all of that was, was, was when we became in Christ. And before that, 
we were without Christ. We were without a relationship with Christ. We were without a relationship with his people. And Paul is saying, if that's true about you, that, that, that you were without Christ and without a relationship with his people, then guess what? You had no hope. That doesn't mean you didn't have good days, and that doesn't mean you didn't look forward to the future when you were uh, before you were in Christ. It just means you have no idea. Remember, before Christ, you have no idea what real hope is. That hope isn't a wish. I hope today goes better. Our hope is anchored in God, who is the author in, 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 uh, of history. He is the sovereign God who orchestrates every day of ours before we, they even began. And so our hope isn't a wish. Our hope is anchored in the one and true God. And so it has weight to it that it doesn't have for those who were. And so simply put, you were without a relationship with God and without a relationship with his people. And as a result, you had no hope. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you who once were far off have been brought near in Christ. So for those of you doing the you are, you have been, you are near to Christ now. Now, this is a very simple statement, but, but I think what Paul is doing here, and I, and I want to spend a, a minute or two explaining this because it paints a picture for what Paul is talking about. Because Paul uses what I believe is temple imagery. right? And, and, and Paul was a good Jew. Right? He, he was, a, he was a, a Jewish man. He knew his Bible. He knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. He's described as zealous, which means he has a lot of passion for what's right. And he would go to the temple and worship in Jerusalem. And so he was very familiar with the layout of the temple. Now, he's writing to these people in this place in Ephesus. And in this church that's there... There are people who are also Jewish that have been to Jerusalem and they're there. But there are people who haven't been. And so, so they've just heard about this temple. And it's important for us because none of us have been to this temple because it doesn't exist anymore. Right? Maybe you've been to Jerusalem and I would love to go to Jerusalem sometime because, because a piece of a wall is left. But, but the temple itself is gone and so we just, have, we just have drawings and we have figures of what it looked like. But what it looked like is so, is, is so telling for what Paul is talking about. So, so Noah, if you'd put the picture up of the, of the temple, let me explain something to you. So this is what the temple mount used to look like. This is what the courtyard used to look like. And, and, and you'll see in the center... There's this very tall building, and in that building, there were two places. There was the most holy place, and in there was the Ark of the Covenant, and, and, and it was separated by a curtain, right? And in that room, a priest would only go once a year. A high priest would go once a year and make a sacrifice and, and an atonement for sin. And so, so it was an incredibly special and sacred place. On the other side of that curtain was what's called the most uh, the the holy place. That's where other offerings would be made by priests in general, not just the high priest, but other priests. And then, if you step outside of that, you have the courtyard of the Israelites. Now, what that was is that if you were a man of Jewish faith, so you were born into a Jewish family, 
and you were uh, ceremonially, ceremonially clean. In other words, you hadn't done anything to, to break any of the laws of the Old Testament. And if you did, you had gone through the sacrifices of sin offering. You could go all the way into that court, which means you could look through the door and see what the priests were doing. And you were near to what the priests were doing. And you would pray and you would worship from that place. Now, outside of that, oh, put that back up. I'm not done. Sorry, sorry no. Is what's called the court of women. Does everybody see that? So you've got the court of the Israelites and you've got the court of women. If you were a woman, that's as far as you could go. You couldn't go into the court of Israelites. You had to stop there. There was a a wall in this courtyard that would divide you. Then that courtyard could fit 6,000 people. Now, on the outside of that is another wall which created a courtyard. And on the other side of that wall is what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, if, if you're new to the Bible, Gentile is a word that, that's used in the Bible that describes people that aren't of Jewish descent. So either you're Jewish or you're not, right? There was this place when I lived in Jackson, Tennessee, that had a, this great hamburger place. It was in Bells, Tennessee. And either you were from Bells, Tennessee, or you were from off, is what they called it. Because in their mind, you were from off the map, Right, So, so th- th- this is the same thing. Either you're Jewish or you're Gentile. If you're a Gentile, which means you're not Jewish, man or woman, no matter, and you worshipped God, you could only go to that wall. You could never go further. And so Paul is using this, this, this imagery uh, to, to, to say that those of you who are near to God, in other words, if you're a Jewish man, Or if you're a priest that's now in Ephesus, you know what it's like to be close in because you were the closest. But for those of you who were far out, particularly to the Gentiles, you were once were far out. You have been brought near. And so that's this picture. And so you can see that those who were near were the ones that were closest. And those that were further out, there was a lot of walls between one and the other, wasn't there? Imagine being in the court of Gentiles and being a follower of the Jewish faith, a worshiper of Jehovah, and only being allowed to that wall. That's as far as you could go. Well, Paul is saying Jesus did something different. Right? Jesus, in Jesus, you are brought near, which means in Jesus, those walls don't exist anymore. That, that Jesus made peace where there was division. That Jesus builds bridges where there are walls. And how did he tear it down? This curtain in the very middle, this holy, most holy place where there was this curtain that separated the, the most holy place and most sacred place from, from all the other places. The, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this. And it says, and it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and, ye- and, and yielded up his spirit. So this is when Jesus is on the cross And at the moment of his death, look at what Matthew says happens. And he yielded his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, just to show that no man did this. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now, Matthew doesn't go into a whole lot of detail about about what rocks were split, but I wonder if it's the rocks of those dividing walls that were split. Because when you tear... 
the most central and most sacred boundary, you, you tear all the boundaries out from it. And y'all, let me tell you something. This, what Paul is saying is that Jesus is in the business of tearing down walls which, which build enemies. And in their place, he puts bridges of peace. Because what we're going to see Paul say is that Jesus is that bridge. And for you as the church, our calling, our duty is to be bridge builders of peace, just like Jesus is. To be peacemakers. Well, look at verse 16, uh, verse 14. Because now Jesus says, for he himself is our peace. So is everybody clear that there were walls? Jesus gave us a torn curtain and opened up all those walls. Because Paul says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, those who were near and those who were far off, Jews and Gentiles, he has made us one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making what? Peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Now here's what Paul does. He uses this word hostility, which is a really big, strong word. And this hostility was, was seen in this literal wall, right, that divided all these groups of people when they came to worship God. But it was also seen in the Old Testament law. Because if you read the Old Testament, there's these very clear laws and guidelines about how Jewish people are to treat those outside of the Jewish faith. Here's the deal. Those laws were designed to keep Israel worshiping Jehovah. Because the assumption was, if you're not of the Jewish nation and you're of another nation, you are worshiping another god. And that temple was never meant to be a place where multiple gods were worshipped. It was meant to be a place where one god is worshipped. And so these laws were set in place to protect the nation of Israel from worshipping other gods. What it turned into was this place where, where even if you were a Gentile and a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you had to be far off. You see, what, what, what Paul is saying here is that these walls actually didn't do what they were supposed to do. They built enemies instead of, instead of building peace. Because, see, this is what the word hostile means. The word hostile means to make someone your enemy. Some translations use the word enmity, which means to make someone your enemy. And so can you imagine being a person who wasn't Jewish, but, but someone had told you about this Jewish God and told you the stories of the Old Testament of how powerful and mighty this God is, and you, and you convert to this religion, you convert to worshiping this God. And so with the rest of the nation of Israel, you go to Jerusalem for these, for these, for these um, uh, annual and, and, and a couple of times a year, they'd have the whole nation together there. And so you go there to worship this God. And somebody stands there and they're like, sorry, you can't come in. You're like, yeah, but I, I follow this God. I worship this God. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're not from the nation of Israel. You you can't come in. Can you imagine being a woman? A devout, can you, like, there are so many strong biblical women in our Bible. Did you know the first person to give God a name was a woman in the Old Testament? Hagar. 
Can you imagine being this godly woman and wanting to worship God and wanting to be near, but being told, no, 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 you can't come this far. Go back, go back. And see, this is what hostile means. It means that you make an enemy out of this. And if you don't believe me that this is what happened, it's believed that there was a sign on this wall of the, the, that separated the Gentile court. And this sign said this, you will only have yourself to blame for your death if you pass into these inner courts. Like, y'all, they were serious about this, right? And, and their heart was to protect worship, and I get that. Now, here's what this would be like. And I'm going to use a couple of different examples here. And, and they're going to get a little close to home because, honestly, depending on where you fall in these categories, church feels divided to you. Right? But here's what this would feel like. It would feel like if you were of a certain nationality, you could come into this room and worship with us. But if you were of another nationality, we would prefer you to stay in the foyer. And worship there. Or even worse, if you are of a particular nationality, we actually want you to just join us from the comfort of your home online. That's what it would feel like. Imagine being one of those nationalities. Or how about this one? Because I'm telling you, this is what church feels like. In fellowship, I love you and I know you don't want this. But I've heard from too many people this is what church feels like. Not church in general, but sometimes Fellowship Asheville. That when you give those nationalities names, that if you're white, you can come in here. If you're a person of color, we would be more comfortable with you out there. Y'all, I know that's not your heart, but that's what church feels like. It also feels like this to many of you. That if you are married with kids, you're welcome in here. If you're single... Well, if you're heterosexual and single, we want you in the foyer. If you're gay, we want you watching from home. And y'all, I know that's not the heart of this church. But for many people, that's the way church feels. Now, what does that make you do inside? You want to fight that? Because that's Jesus in you saying that's not what he intended for his church. It's not what he intended for the temple. And it's not what he intends for this church. Because what that does when those barriers are put up, whether they're implied or specifically said, it builds enemies. Because we're on one side and they're on the other. Because barriers build enemies. Are y'all with me on that? Barriers build enemies. And Jesus did away with the law. Paul's already said that. So instead of, instead, of, instead, of, instead of barriers, we get torn curtains, right? We get crumbled walls of division. And Paul says that, that Jesus has made both one. He has made Jew and Gentile one. He has created a new man in the place of two. And instead of hostility, instead of making people our enemies... In creating division and living in that division, instead, he brought peace. He brought unity. You see, in Jesus, in Jesus, the you are, the you are line, in Jesus, all people are one people to God. That's Paul's point. There are no dividing walls. 
There are no different nationalities. Now, here's, what's, here's what I love about God. In, in, in heaven, heaven is going to be full of colorful people. We keep our nationality. We keep our race. We, we keep our culture somehow. But when God sees us, he just sees his children. And yet, he sees their culture. He sees their race. And he, he welcomes them into Jesus. In Jesus, we are one. Because Jesus made peace. Look at verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so Paul is telling us here something very important about this peace. And it's something that we have to understand if we are going to be peacemakers. And it's something we have to understand if we are going to be bridge builders. And it's this. Paul is not telling us that peace is found in a sermon. Like, like. My job is to point you to the one who gives peace, not to make you for a minute think that I can give you that. And that's what Paul is saying, that peace is found not in the sermon, but in the one who preached it in Jesus, that, that peace is found in Jesus. You see, Jesus is our bridge that tears down every wall that we build that separates us from God and separates us from each other. So here's the picture that this, this verse, verse, verse paints. The word that, that Paul uses for access is this term that, that was used in royal courts, right? It was used as this term as the person who would who'd be the gatekeeper to the king. It was the person who, who you would meet with at the door. And if they gave you access to the king, the king knew that he could trust you. If the gatekeeper trusts you, then the king will trust you. And, Jesus, and Paul is saying that Jesus is our access. He is our gatekeeper. He's the one that ushers us into the presence of God. And in, in, in him, we have the, 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 the peace of God. And uh, Return of the Jedi used this. Anybody, any Star Wars fans left here with us today? Good. Um, Return of the Jedi... There's this great scene where Luke, and it's the first time that you see Luke after, after the previous movie. And I remember like seeing him in the movie theater. And, and, and you just see this, this dark figure come, and you realize it's Luke. And you realize he's got this power that he didn't have before because there's this guy whose name is Bib Fortuna, right? Luke is going to, get, going to go see Jabba the Hutt to get Han Solo back. And this guy is that guy with like the tail coming off his head. Do you remember him? And it kind of wraps around, looks like a scarf, looks like he's kind of a hipster, right? And so Luke walks up to him and, and you know, he doesn't want to let, let Luke in. And Luke does this. He goes, you'll take me to Jabba. And you know what the guy says? I'll take you to Jabba. And so he goes in and brings Luke with him to see Jabba the Hutt. And you see the look on Jabba's face when he realizes that his gatekeeper has let a Jedi in and he's shocked because it was that job, it was the job of Bib Fortuna to not let anybody in that Jabba didn't trust. And yet Luke used this Jedi mind trick to, to be welcomed in. Jesus is our Bib Fortuna, right? He is our access to the king, is what Paul is saying. And the same picture that, that, that Paul, that, you know, George Lucas picked up is what Paul is saying about Jesus. That when Jesus brings you into the, to the king's presence, you are in. No mind trick needed, right? Like you are in the king's presence. You have the peace of being in that royal court with the God who orchestrates everything. The God who, who Andrew, as you've said a couple of times even when you worship, the God who is consistent. 
who is love and who never changes. You get to be in that presence with that king. You know, see, y'all, no religion can do that and no sermon can do that. You need Jesus to be your access. Sermons can only point you to that person. So let me ask you, do you need peace in your life today? Do you need peace in your life today? Now, here's the deal. As I went through that list of places where I like to put up barriers, some of you were nodding your head and you were with me. And, and so some of you may feel like you have got a lot of walls in your life right now. Here's the deal, we all have people that we disagree with, and when we disagree with them, it's real easy to build walls. It's easy to make them an enemy. But, but, but here's the first step to tearing down those walls. Here's the first step to turn, turning that wall into a bridge, that barrier into a bridge. We need that access to that God, don't we? See, Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples, he said something that was very radical. In John 14, 6, he says this, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so maybe you've been trying to approach God with your religion, with what you do right and what you don't do wrong, and and you've got this zeal that that Paul had. Let me tell you, Paul needed Jesus, and he met him. And you need Jesus. What you do right and, and, and what you've done wrong, there are no scales in heaven. There's Jesus standing there. And he is your access. And the problem is you can't come to God without Jesus. And so trust him. You see, church, his death and his burial and his resurrection proved that everything that he said was true. He really is the truth. He really is the way. In him, there really is life. So if you haven't said yes to Jesus, let today be the day that you do that. And you let him take you into the presence of the king. And you lay down the, the, the works, is the word that Paul used last week. You lay down the efforts of trying to please God. And you realize that you are, in Jesus, fully pleasing to God. Now, for those of you who have done this, let me ask you, where are you needing this kind of peace today? Where have you been creating walls where there are enemies? Where do you want to separate? Have you made someone your enemy that's not? Well, I have some really good news for you, because look at what Paul says about those of us who are, right? There's a whole bunch of you were, there's some you are. Look at what he says in verse 19. In verse 19, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, all right, so here's the you are, fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Now, Paul uses this word citizens because to be a citizen, you have to meet certain requirements, right? To be a citizen of the United States, there are certain requirements. What Paul is saying is that, is that uh, being in the family of God has certain requirements too, And it's not based on what you do and what you don't do. It's based on Jesus. And you are in Christ. You are in the hoop. So congratulations, you have met the requirements. Jesus has met them for you because you couldn't meet them. That's why you need him. See, a citizen needs to meet those requirements to call a place home. And Paul is saying, in Jesus, those requirements have been met. Welcome home. Whenever we go on vacation Uh, Whenever we we go to Disney, we stay at a Disney resort. And you know what they say every time you pull up to the gate? Welcome home. 
See, Paul is saying when, when you are in Christ, welcome home. You see, and then he goes on to, to say this in verse 20. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So he's going to describe this, this, this citizenship, right? He's going to describe this household of God. And he says, this household of God, this citizenship, this place that we belong to, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God uh, by the Spirit. And so what Paul is saying is that your home is us, the church. And he uses this word for Jesus, that Jesus is the cornerstone. In ancient building techniques, they would lay the cornerstone of a building. And that cornerstone told you where every wall was to be measured from. Right? As the cornerstone is, so is the entire building. And Paul says, our cornerstone for us as a church, for Fellowship Asheville, for, for you as a person who is in Jesus, your cornerstone is Jesus. And so what that means is that as Jesus is, so we can be. As Jesus is, so you can be. As Jesus is a peacemaker, as Jesus is a bridge builder, guess what? So you can be because he is the cornerstone of this church. He is the cornerstone of your faith. You see, y'all, Jesus didn't come and build bridges and create enemies. Jesus came and built bridges of peace. Now, let me tell you, those bridges of peace made enemies, but Jesus never called them enemies. So here's the, the radical implication of this. As Paul will go on in Ephesians, and we'll see it in chapter 6, Paul says this in, in, in chapter 6. He says, he says, now listen to this. He says, for we do not wrestle against. For those of you who have this verse memorized, what does he say we don't wrestle against? Flesh and blood. In other words, Paul saying, y'all, we don't wrestle against humans. Humans aren't our enemies. Look at what is our enemy. We do have an enemy, and look at who it is. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness. So to sum it up, Paul's saying our, our, our enemy isn't humans. We are against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do have an enemy, but it's not the person you disagree with. We have a spiritual enemy. And so how do you battle a spiritual enemy? Is it with a quick comeback and comment on social media? No. It's through prayer. Right? And so this radical conclusion that I've come to is the walls which divide us are the walls we create. The walls that divide me from other people are the walls that I have put up. And we're going to talk about this, and I'll unpack this a little more in my post-sermon chat. So for those of you that are watching us virtually, just stay there. For those of you who are here in person, you can watch it later on YouTube, or you can go home and turn it on and, and uh, pick it up where, where, uh, where, where we do. But, but Jesus brings peace, and he, and he builds bridges. And so, y'all, our enemy isn't each other. Right? I have no human enemies. When we disagree, do you know what it means? 
Catch this. When we disagree, it means we disagree. And that's all it means. What would it look like if I tore down those walls that I've built? What would it look like in those places where I disagree, I put bridges of peace, y'all? And, and, and a lot of times, it's just a shift in my own mind. I mean, this, this weekend I was on Facebook, and, and a woman that has meant a lot to me and my wife over the years posted something that I think is just ridiculous. And literally, I caught myself saying, I don't know if, if I, I want to keep seeing this. And my own sermon went through my head, and I had to go, wait, wait, wait. Okay, we just disagree. What do we have in common? And you know what? We had a thousand things in common to one thing we disagree with. And all of a sudden, I literally felt this wall in my heart go down. And then I just moved on to the next one. Right? See, I think if, if we tore down those walls of disagreements and in its place put bridges of peace, I think it could change us in very deep places. Now, here's what I want us to do as we close. I'm going to ask us to, to close our eyes and think about a specific person that you disagree with. Right? A specific person you've made an enemy in your own mind. Okay, and so do that. Let's just take and, and take a minute. I want you to picture that person, okay? I want them to get them in your mind. And now I want to ask you a question. How does God see that person? Does God see them with the, the, the label that you've given them as enemy? Does God see them as hostile? Does God love them? Did God send his son to die for them? Now then, what would it look like for you to build a bridge of peace with them? Would it mean that you forgive them? In other words, you release yourself from the obligation of revenge against them? And you let God take care of that? Does it mean that you actually reach out to them and contact them? Now, y'all, this is assuming that they are safe. Right? There, there are people in, in, in your life um, that your job right now is just to forgive them and release them from, from your need of, of needing to be right, from your need of me, needing to take revenge. Because that is the, the best thing to do. Because when Jesus builds bridges, uh, sometimes they're toll bridges. Right? And people have to meet certain requirements to get across that bridge of like being just a kind human. And some people can't do that, and that's okay. The bridge is there. Maybe your job is to pray for that person. Without contacting them, just pray for them. Maybe, maybe your job is to unblock your unblocking of them on social media and see their stuff again. Or maybe your job is to do what I did and just remember what you have in common so that love is there. Jesus, whatever those steps are, I pray that you would lead us in them. And that you would get the glory for them. Father, that we would see our enemies as you see them. A people to be loved. And a people to, 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 that you sacrificed your son for. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that forgives those who hurt, who hurt us. And we love those who are unlovable. And we do that because you did that. We do that because you are in us and we do that because you move with us.
And Father, I also pray, this, this proverb just come to my mind, that, that it is not good to have zeal without knowledge. And so, Father, I pray for us as a church that we take these steps seriously, but we take them with wisdom. We take them uh, only as you lead us. And, and maybe that means we, we talk to other godly people, we, we spend time with you and in your word before we take that step. But God, I pray that we do that as you lead. In Christ's name I pray, amen.